Welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Let's vie for victory, friends. Hello, and welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Denai, and I just want to say that I am so grateful that amidst everything going on in the world, things going crazy, that you continue to show up here and fight for your victory and fight from the ultimate victory in Christ and for it in the daily battles each day with us. So thank you for being here, and I hope that this is encouraging and a light for you in the middle of some dark times. If you have been listening and enjoy the show, or if you enjoy this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you would head to iTunes and give us a five-star review, tell us what you think, why you like the show, that would really help other people find it, and we can start building more community together. And speaking of community, the next Heal Retreat is July 18th, so that will be this coming Saturday. So you have six days to register. It's a virtual retreat. Anyone can come. We're going to have speakers and giveaways and breakouts where you can meet with other women who are also struggling with pain. And it's going to be an incredible God-glorifying time. So head to thehealretreat.com and you can register there. Today on the show, we have someone who blew my mind, no pun intended, maybe it was intended, and she has a story of insane fingerprints of God all over her life. It's just crazy to see it now from the other side, but how he knew everything that was coming. He was working it all together from the very start. And if you have never met someone who is grateful for having their brain cut in half and God saving them through it, then you have not met Lindsay Schmidt. So listen up, soak it all in and be amazed at what God has done in her life. Yeah, so first off, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us today. And then could you tell us where you're from? I am originally from um, by Holdingford, Minnesota. Okay. I When we were talking on the phone the other day, I don't feel like you talk with a Minnesotan accent. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've tried to get rid of that. I've lots of years of training, I guess, lots of time training, trying to get rid of my Minnesotan accent. Yeah, I just had that thought. But uh, tell us before we get into just the nitty gritty deep story, what are just some of your favorite things to do or least favorite things to do? So that has actually changed drastically over the years. But one of my absolute favorite things to do is to just go somewhere, mostly by myself, pretty much just go out into a public place and like get something like get a soda or something and just sit down. And I always look for different people. to talk to kind of and I don't know I just I I love meeting new people that is amazing and that is such a gift from God because I am the opposite I fear so much the Holy Spirit telling me to go talk to some random person and you're like seeking it out (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. Trust me before all my surgeries, my goodness, put me in a room full of people I've never seen before, or even people I do know. And my mind would go completely blank. I could not think of anything to say to anyone. And now I can't keep my mouth shut, basically. That's awesome. Do you just like walk up to them and tell them your life story? I mean, how does that work? No, I, okay, so I'll just give you a specific example. A number yeah. of years, a, a few years ago, I was at the mall in St. Cloud, Minnesota, and I got hungry. And so I went over to the food court and God just really put it in me not to sit by myself and eat. And I got my tray of food, you know, and I was walking along in the, in the food court area. They're looking for a place to sleep, to sit, feeling all vulnerable. Like I'm back in high school again, like, Oh, where can I sit? Who's going to let me sit with them? You know? Mm -hmm. And I found this woman who was sitting by herself and I, I just went over to her and I said, hi. And she said, well, hi. And I said, I know people don't do this. I apologize, but I'm here by myself and I hate eating in public by myself. Would you mind if I sat with you? And she goes, oh my goodness. No, not at all. Have a seat. So I sat with her and we ended up having this wonderful conversation and she actually ended up inviting me to her church to speak wow. the, next, the next March or April. And so I did. That's amazing. It was incredible. It was really awesome. Yeah, I am just sitting here thinking maybe sometimes we don't have as many divine appointments as we want because we're not making room for God to make a divine appointment. Exactly. Because we, we spend so much time busying our lives, like scheduling appointments, scheduling meetings, scheduling lunch, scheduling this, scheduling that. But when we plan our entire days packed full of stuff that we have to do, it doesn't leave room for God's plan to work out in our lives for us. And God's plan is always so much better than anything we could dream up for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're inspiring me already. So let's just get, get to it and the rest of it, shall we? But uh, just tell us a little bit about your story and when you first started getting headaches and you were in LA at that point, right? So tell us just briefly, how did you get to LA from Minnesota? Yeah. So <laughs> I realized that God has been leading me my entire life. I just never realized it was him at the time. And I, I was too stubborn, I guess, to give credit to him. But ever since I was young, I was in variety shows in my hometown here. And, you know, I've been in plays and stuff my whole life. And all through high school, I was in drama and I was in every play possible, basically. And then, I don't know, God, like, I truly believe it was from God. He put this acting drive in me. And when, when it got to be my junior and senior year and all my friends were choosing colleges to go to and they knew what they were going to go to school for and what job they wanted to do the rest of their lives, I just, ugh, I just sank further and further down in my seat. I thought, are you kidding me? All I wanted to do was go to Los Angeles and become a famously successful actor because 
apparently that's how easy I thought it was going to be. And so I went to school in Mankato my first two years after high school because I swam in high school. I was on the swim team and I wanted to, I wanted to swim a year in college too. And so I went to school in Mankato because they have, they had a really great swimming program at the time. So I went there and my first year I didn't declare a major and I was on the swim team and just hoping and praying that I would think of something to go to school for by my sophomore year. And so my sophomore year came and I hadn't thought of anything that I wanted to go to school for at all. And I didn't want to get a theater degree because theater wasn't my end goal. Like my end goal was Los Angeles. I wanted to be in in movies and TV and stuff. And I knew that once I moved out to LA, nobody was going to care what college, podunk college I graduated from in central Minnesota with a theater degree, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but my second year I I declared a theater major, but again, I was still just waiting to meet someone who would move to LA with me. And so my first day of class, my second year in Mankato, I had two general education courses that semester, a psychology class and a philosophy class. And then I had two theater classes and I was in my gen ed philosophy class. And there was a girl who said she was a theater major. And so we walked together to our next class. And in that few minute time span between walking from one class to the other, she told me that she had just moved back from Los Angeles. She lived out there the year before. So she had moved out there right after high school, but she got really homesick. And so her parents made her move back to Minnesota. And that's when we met. And I was just in awe of this girl, I thought, oh my goodness, you have done exactly what I have wanted to do my entire life, but I'm too chicken to do it myself. Mm -hmm. And she told me about how her heart was still out in LA and she still wanted to be out there in the worst way, but the only way her parents were going to let her move out there again is if she found a close friend to move with her so they wouldn't have to move her right back again. Oh my gosh. So I, you know, attached myself to her hip and we were best friends from that moment on. So the next fall, we moved out into our apartment and our address could be Los Angeles or Hollywood. Our apartment was a half a block off of Sunset Boulevard, a block and a half straight down from the Kodak Theater in that main touristy area in Hollywood. It was just ridiculous. That's crazy. At the, mo- at the time, oh my gosh, it was exactly where I wanted to be yeah. and exactly what I wanted to be doing. My, our next door neighbor in our apartment building was Ashley Angel, a guy from the band O-Town. <laughs> wow. So cool. It was. It was awesome. So then we moved out there the end of August 2003. We started a year-long acting program with the New York Film Academy in... September and I started getting headaches shortly after that and they were completely unlike anything I had ever experienced before and I was 20 when we moved out there I didn't research doctors or hospitals or anything what was what was gonna happen to me I was invincible at that time in my life just like every other 20 year old so what do these headaches feel like or when did you start getting concerned it felt like my head was going to explode, basically, is the only way that I can 
describe it before the headache would come my vision would kind of go and then the headache would come on and it it felt like there was a balloon in the center of my head being blown up which wasn't too far from the truth later right and yeah and when you know there's a balloon inside your head there's not really anywhere for it to grow bigger and so I said okay I need to see a doctor there's something wrong because the headaches started coming more frequently and just getting worse and worse and worse and it was unbearable so my older sister back in Minnesota here found a random 800 number to call to get a doctor in your area so I called this random number not having a clue what you know what was going to be on the other end or anything and I scheduled an appointment with a random doctor at a random clinic of course none of it was random but um that's the way it seemed to me at the time and I went into my appointment a few days later and I I went in and you know the nurse checked me in and everything and I was in the room waiting for the doctor and all of a sudden this like 130 year old man with a lab coat walked into my room who could also barely speak English. (laughs) And I thought, oh my goodness, my life is in the hands of a man who probably has no idea what I'm saying to him right now and vice versa. And he's about to like keel over himself. (laughs) And Oh my gosh, but he just, he asked me what was going on and I explained the headaches to him. And at the end of my appointment, he just looked at me and he said, Lindsay, I don't like that you're having these headaches, so I want to schedule you to have an MRI. And I said, okay, please just make them stop. And so a few days later, I had my MRI and (laughs) something that I just like a memory that popped into my head just recently or a few years ago, I think was that when I went there to fill out the paperwork before my MRI in the place where your phone number, this was in 2003. And I had just heard about, you know, the scandal of people buying other people's phone numbers and making international calls with them and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. And as a young stupid (laughs) 90 20 year old I took that very seriously so when I filled out the paperwork at the hospital I thought I'm not getting screwed over you know so I wrote my school's phone number down (laughs) as my my phone number so anyway I had my MRI and my roommate and I were on our way back to school because my roommate had brought me to my MRI because I was terrified And we stopped at Ikea to do some shopping because we could. We were about, I don't know, 20 yards from the checkout line. Both had carts overflowing with stuff that we were going to buy for our apartment, but we absolutely did not need. (laughs) And we're on our way to the checkout line and my cell phone rang and it was an unidentifiable number, but I answered it anyway. And it was the doctor who I'd originally seen, the one who could barely speak English. And he said, Lindsay, where are you? And I said, who is this? He said, I tried calling your school and they gave me your phone number and blah, 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 blah. Where are you? And I said, "Um, I'm in Ikea. Who is this? 
this is Dr. Newman, blah, 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 blah. You, we got the results of your MRI back and you need to come straight back to the hospital. He said, do not go to your apartment. Do not go to school. Do not stop anywhere. Wow. Just come straight back and meet me in the emergency room. Because that's not going to freak you out at all. Right? So I left my part and I went over to my roommate and I said, you have to bring me back to the hospital. The doctor just called and we just left all of our stuff sit there and she brought me back to the hospital and dropped me off in the ER. And the woman who was checking me in to the ER didn't speak English very well and try checking into an ER when there's nothing wrong with you at the moment to someone who doesn't really speak your language. <laughs> so Sounds about fun. a half an hour, half hour or so after going back and forth, with me explaining, I had an MRI. My doctor called me back to meet him here. And she just kept responding, what are your symptoms? <laughs> well, nothing at the moment, but... Sounds like a horrible comedy movie. Oh my goodness, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, you know, I finally got her to put my name in or whatever. And I went and sat down and I waited. And then they brought me back into a room and, you know, the nurse checks you in and everything. And then the doctor who I'd originally seen, he and another doctor were in the room, came into the room and the other doctor introduced himself. He was a neurosurgeon at Cedars-Sinai. His name was Dr. Keith Black. And he's the one who had read my original MRI. And he, so he explained to me, he said, the reason we called you back to the hospital is because the MRI shows that there's a mass in the third ventricle of your brain surrounding your hypothalamus. And he said, it's just in the exact spot in your brain that it's blocking the flow of your spinal cord fluid. So that's periodically building up, causing these pressure headaches for you. And he said, because of where this mass is and what it's doing, we need to admit you to the hospital right away and take you in for emergency brain surgery once an operating room opens up. And I was like, um, oh, okay. Like, how do you even process that? I mean, did you call your parents? Like, what do you, what do, you do? Well, here's the thing. Then he said, he took his cell phone out of his lab coat pocket and he said, what's your mom's name and phone number? I gave him my mom's number and he called my mom and said, Irene, this is Dr. Keith Black with Cedars, with Cedars Sinai Medical Center. I'm here with your daughter, Lindsay. She had her MRI this morning. Well, we got the results back and you need to get on the next plane out to Los Angeles to be with your daughter because we need to take her in for emergency brain surgery. Man. And so my mom and I have spoken to a number of groups over the years. And she always says that she got off the phone because that's everyone's question, you know, like what, what, how did, mm -hmm. what did she do? Like, how did she react? And I've, I've asked her that numerous times too. And we've talked about it, but she said she got off the phone and first she called my dad who worked in St. Cloud and told him, and then she called my sister who just a month or so before I moved out to LA, she took a job with Sun Country Airlines. And so she was able to get my mom on a flight fairly easily that afternoon, even. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh my Talk about God and Seriously. providing. Yeah, exactly. So 
the where my parents live, it's about an hour and a half from the airport in Minneapolis. And so my mom went upstairs into her room, threw some clothes in a bag and drove into St. Cloud, met my dad. Um, he drove her down to the airport. She got on a flight and I think, I don't know when she got out there. I guess she got out there after my my first surgery, which I don't know if it was that day. I think it was the next morning wow. is when I finally was able to get into surgery. But my my friends out in LA were amazing through the whole thing. Like I was so, so, so blessed to have them because the girl I moved out there with, her name is Rena. All of her friends from her first year out there were still there. And so I kind of by default automatically had this awesome, awesome group of friends. Mm -hmm. And they were all like a bunch of them were in and out of the hospital with me that day while I was waiting to have surgery. And my friend Adam was there putting, blowing up rubber gloves and putting them on his head and just like just joking around and awesome. you know it was it was such a huge 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 blessing having having the people there who were there you know yeah so is this surgery the one i can't remember from what you told me because you had a lot of surgeries and then did it grow or it was the biggest at this point no so when they first found it it was just about the size of the tip of your pinky mm -hmm. and they but they went in to do the first surgery and the biopsy or the biopsy from the original surgery said it, that that my tumor was inoperable meaning absolutely cannot be removed no matter what because of where it was in my brain so it was right in the middle right yeah yeah, if you look at a diagram of the brain, like a drawn diagram or something, find the hypothalamus. That's where my tumor was. Okay, so you go through this first surgery and then you're back and then it just starts growing out of control. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know it was, but a few days after my first surgery, I went back to the hospital because I was having the same original problems that I had been having with pressure in my head. Mm -hmm. So I went back and it turns out that my spinal cord fluid had an infection in it because the first surgery that they did, they made a passageway through my tumor mm -hmm. so that my spinal cord fluid could drain properly. But I had to go back in because there was an infection in my spinal cord fluid. And so it clogged the passageway. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I had to go back in. They did another surgery or two. I was in the hospital pretty much most of November and December, 2003. I was out a couple times for a day or two, but then I would have problems again and I would go back in. And toward the end of December or the middle of December, they had put a shunt mm -hmm. in me to help the spinal cord fluid drain. So describe what a shunt is for someone who doesn't know what that is. So a shunt, it's a little tiny tube that goes from my head or my brain, it's inside of me, it goes from my brain down into my abdominal cavity. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. So on my neck, 
here I have a little lump. I think that's the shunt. Wow. And then I have scars going all the way down my stomach from surgery because of my brain tumor. Wow. So after they placed the shunt, I got out of the hospital and a day or two later, I started having abdominal pains and it felt like there were little hands inside my whole abdominal area, just grabbing everything they could and squeezing it and twisting it and just Oh my gosh, it was the worst pain I've ever had in my abdomen. It was just horrible. And I waited a few days before I said anything because I thought, I just had brain surgeries and now I am having the worst (laughs) stomach ache ever. They're not going to believe me. I'm going to go back to the hospital and they're going to be like, nah, you know, don't let her come in. She's crying wolf or something like that. Like you're a hypochondriac. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of how I felt too. And I just, I just kind of waited for the pains to go away and they just got worse and worse and worse. Oh my gosh, it was horrible. I finally went back to the hospital into the ER and every time I went to the ER, we called ahead of time because then you get in faster mm-hmm. and they brought me back into a into a room admitted me to the hospital right away because it turns out the infection in my spinal cord fluid had come back that they had gotten rid of previously it came back and since it was draining down the tube into my abdomen it infected that whole area oh my gosh so i had to have not only another brain surgery but abdominal surgery on top of it oh man and they just kind of cleaned things out down there and like removed my appendix no big deal just while we're here we'll just grab that too right might as well (laughs) so then i was in the hospital for a month I was in the hospital with an, in the ICU with an external drain. So I had this little tube, the shunt coming mm-hmm. out of my head, attached to like an IV type bag next to my bed oh where my, my spinal cord fluid was draining. Oh my gosh. Do you have a picture of that? I don't, thankfully. <laughs> that sounds scary. It was disgusting. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because spinal cord fluid is typically clear transparent in color mm-hmm. the stuff that was draining into the bag next to my bed because of the infection was like a dark crusty yellowish orangish color Yum. it was really disgusting <laughs> oh my gosh okay so you have all this going on and then it ends up growing to the size where they have to go in right yeah so In 2004, I have no memory of the year 2004 at all, none. But apparently I only had like one or two surgeries that year. And then by April of 2005, my tumor had grown from the size of the tip of your pinky to about the size of a grapefruit. And it was right in the middle of my brain. I don't know. I can't even, I can't even like comprehend that. I mean, it's huge. I mean, that's like when you put a grapefruit like and hold it up to your face. I mean, that would be taking up most of your skull. Yeah, exactly. And so the pressure obviously was 
unbearable and everything that they tried to do just would get screwed up because of my body <laughs> messing it up. And so by April of 2005, I had basically exhausted the possibilities of neurosurgeons at Cedars-Sinai. And I ended up having the number one brain surgeon in the United States at the time, Dr. Keith Black, who was the one who had read my original MRI. Wow. And he, of course, we didn't know at the time that he was the number one. But even that, like God's hand over that is insane. Holy cow. Yeah. I know. I know. Trust me. I've been trying to wrap my head around it for the last 15 years. No pun intended. I heard that too. No, it's like, yeah, I just happened to have the number one neurosurgeon in the country read my MRI while I was in acting school. (laughs) I mean, that's insane. I know. I know. You can't make this stuff up. That's for sure. But he he told my mom he's because my mom had pretty much packed a bag and moved into my apartment with my roommate on and off this whole year and a half and was with me at the hospital all the time and that was amazing I'm thankful doesn't even begin to describe how I feel about that but so this doctor Dr. Black read my MRI and you know, went through my history of every, of all my surgeries and everything. And he told my mom, he said, I'm going to let you know in this next surgery, we're going to try to remove your daughter's tumor. And my mom said, I thought you said that was impossible. And Dr. Black said, this tumor has grown way too much for us to just leave it where it is anymore. He said, we need, we have to go in and try to remove this tumor. If we don't, she dies. And he said, but I'm going to, I'm also going to let you know that she's going to come out of the surgery, either, you know, minor problems that hopefully she'll maybe overcome over time. She could come out in a complete comatose state or not make it out of the surgery. But he said, it's a a chance we have to take at this point. We cannot continue going in and doing these surgeries that aren't going to work, aren't going to last. So, you know, knowing he literally had a one in three chance of success, they went in and did the surgery and they went in through the top of my head. They cut my skull open right behind my hairline and then went in and they kind of just had to split my brain right down the center and kind of open it up like a, like a, what did I say? A book. A book. Yes. (laughs) No, you're good. Um, so yeah, they had to open, split it down the middle and open it up like a book. And then once they were in, they were able to get the whole tumor because it was encapsulated. It didn't have any of those little fingers Hmm. going out into the rest of my brain. Um, and so they, they were able to get the entire thing in that one surgery. And I guess, I guess I was okay after that surgery somehow. I don't, I don't know how, Yeah, but but then they, they did another procedure after that where they placed a shunt in me again because he said there was a lot of swelling in my brain. Apparently having your brain karate chopped in half and put back together causes some swelling. Yeah, go figure, right? Who knew? So they placed the shunt and then I guess after that surgery, I had to move right back to Minnesota because I had to relearn how to walk, talk, 
remember anything. My long and short-term memories were gone completely. So how many years of your life are just blank? It's a couple years, right? Yeah, two or three. Yeah. And so in that time, I mean, what is that like just feeling like you have this gap of memory in your life? Oh, gosh. I really, really, really struggled with that for the longest time after my, after my surgeries were finished. And I just, I had a really hard time accepting that. And, you know, I, I constantly prayed for God to give that back to me Mm -hmm. to just restore those memories. But from what people have told me about the life I was choosing to live during that time, instead of restoring those memories for me, God has absolutely blessed me by giving me peace about it. And I don't, I don't care anymore that I don't have those memories. I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. That's the past. I need to live in the present. Yeah. Like he's protecting you from it. Exactly. Because apparently I dated a guy out in LA for a while. And from what people have told me who met him, it's probably better that I don't remember (laughs) remember yeah and I my mom just says I wasn't I wasn't acting like me through that time she said you don't you didn't really know what was going on or who you were or you know who you wanted to be or anything yeah so let's talk about the root of it then because you were telling me that you think the root was actually spiritual of of some of stuff that you had been putting in your brain. And so will you talk about that or even the garbage bags that Jesus had? Yes. Yes. Thank you. So since my surgeries, God has like periodically revealed different things to me about what I, what I went through and just like answered questions that I've had about what I went through and why and everything. And one thing that he's shown me is that like the life that I was choosing to live up until kind of the end of my surgeries wasn't the life God put me on this earth to live. So say we go through our lives in in cars, figuratively speaking, God puts us here to let him drive our cars, to let him guide us through life and, you know, keep us from potholes and all the other junk that is meant to ruin us yeah but because we are oftentimes really stubborn people I know I am anyway I am guilty too (laughs) we kind of spend our whole lives trying to get him out of the driver's seat and we try to you know put ourselves there and that's what I was trying to do the whole time I lived out in LA. I had put God in the back seat at first, and then I put him in the trunk for a while even. But then, mm-hmm. like, in the middle and during the end of all my surgeries, he he broke his way out of, out of the trunk and mm-hmm. came and took me out of the car and just carried me and he's that's what he's still doing and it's it's incredible so Jesus every time this is something else that he he's shown me is that and I just think it's so cool the visual of this is that the reason I had to have so many surgeries because I had 18 in that little less than a year and a half and I, I really struggled with that. I thought, why 18? That's that's kind of a little overkill, isn't yeah. it? You know? 
Like, couldn't, couldn't we have stopped at one or two brain surgeries for crying out loud? This is mm-hmm. ridiculous. And I, I had spent quite a bit of time praying about that. And finally, God was like, Lindsay, reflect back on the life that you were living during that time. And it was literally as if I invited the devil into my life, like called him up, was like, hey dude, we're having a party. Come on over. He came over and numerous times. And once he was in, he screwed me over and gave me a brain tumor. And because of the life that I was continuing to choose um, to live during that, during my surgeries, the devil caused my tumor to grow and was like, she's just kept on watching me thinking she's going to be mine. She's going to be mine. And finally, when I, you know, I had given, they had a healing mass for me here. I'm Catholic. And in my hometown church here in Minnesota, they had a healing mass for me. And there were, I don't know, my mom, I think has said that there were close to a hundred people there of my close family and friends and just loved ones and everything. And they came and everyone prayed over me. And it was, oh my goodness, it was, it was incredible. I don't, I don't really remember the, the whole thing, I guess. But yeah. I just remember this feeling of, wow, this is amazing. And I just, I decided after my surgeries, I decided, all right, God, you and me, we're going to, we're going to get this right this time. I'm going to, you know, get this right with you. And like, I was, I was totally given a second chance to get things right. And I wasn't going to, you know, I'm not going to screw it up this time. Oh, back to the, how many surgeries I had. So the reason God's reasoning to me or God showed me that the reason I had to have 18 surgeries is because I had spent my life previous to my brain tumor just filling my head full of junk that shouldn't go in there. Not literally, but, you know, spiritually and in every other way, but just putting this stuff in there that shouldn't be there and, you know, just living my own life, my life, me, myself, and I were the big three at that time. <laughs> yeah. The, so during my brain surgeries, Jesus would go in there with his broom and dust cloth and garbage bags, and he would clean things up. And every time he left, he took a full garbage bag with him. And before he left, the very last time, he like wrote graffiti style all over the inside of my brain, I love you, and hung his picture on the wall of my brain before he left the very last time. And he threw that last bit of garbage over his shoulder and looked around before he left. And his picture is in there. He's always, always with me. And he looked around and, and, you know, nodded his head and said, yep, you'll be good now. I've armed you with, with everything you need. I mean, that's not to say that I don't stumble Mm -hmm. every once in a while, often. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) But I always tell people there have been two Lindsay Schmidt's on this earth, the pre-brain tumor Lindsay Schmidt and the post-brain tumor Lindsay Schmidt, because the person who I was then and the person who I am now, nothing, nothing alike. Yeah. We are two completely different people. And I'm so thankful for that. <laughs> yeah. 
Praise God. And, and just that reminds me too, like there are just so many just divine fingerprints all over your story. I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane, but you also mentioned to me the, your story is very miraculous and medicinal at the same time, right? Like God used doctors, but it's also incredibly miraculous. And you talk to me about your tumor going from cancerous back to benign, right? Explain that for a second. So the original biopsy said my tumor was a grade two or three and tumors are graded on a one to five scale, one being completely benign, no chance of it turning into cancer really, and five being terminal according to the doctors. And the original biopsy of mine said it was a two, maybe a three. And because it was growing so rapidly and was just so, so aggressive, the doctors were fairly certain it was at least, it was a five, Mm -hmm. but right before they removed it. And they removed my tumor and sent it in for biopsy and it came back as a grade one, meaning no chance of it being cancerous or anything. So through all 18 of my procedures, I didn't have to go have chemo or any of that. Wow. And I think, I think that's kind of what saved me. Hmm. Just knowing there had to be something bigger than you that did that. Yes. Yes. Oh gosh. Just incredible. And the doctors, the doctors were all pretty dumbfounded by that. Hmm that diagnosis of a grade one because they said tumors go from benign to cancerous all the time. That's what they do. He said, in all my years of practice, we've never seen one go the other way. He said tumors, they just don't go, they don't go from cancerous to non-cancerous, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So through all of this and just seeing God's hand in your life, uh, share with people what is your profession now and how God led you to that through all this. Oh my gosh. So when I was, when I was out in LA, my act, going to school out there, my acting teachers and everybody out there always talked about how you have to be passionate about being in this business and you have to be passionate about wanting to work in this industry. And if you're not passionate about it, you might as well just pack your bags and go home right now because you're never going to make it in this city and blah, 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 blah. And Tara, whenever they started talking about that, about passion, I just sat there thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know what the heck this stuff is that you guys are talking about, but pretty sure it's just a whole load of bananas because (laughs) I don't understand how anyone could be passionate about about this, about basically having to sell their soul in order to be successful in their job, their career. But I kind of had the fake it till you make it mentality when I lived out there Mm -hmm. because, you know, I was such a good actor that I could do that. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Right. (laughs) Then after going through all my surgeries and everything and realizing that I was going to have to move back to Minnesota, back home and figure out a real job that I could do. The way that my mom talked to me about my future was one of the biggest blessings of all because she never once used the word if. She always said, Lindsay, when you get better, you know, you can go back to school and figure out what God really put you here to do because we know it wasn't, it wasn't that. And at first, 
that was really hard for me to hear because I didn't remember that I had moved back here. I didn't remember that I had, I thought I had had one or two surgeries mm. and that's it. Yeah. So I somehow was able to go back to school after everything and I finished my generals and then I just took some random classes that I thought sounded interesting, just waiting for something to click mm-hmm. or waiting for someone, almost literally someone to come up to me and smack me across the face and say, Lindsay, this is what you're passionate about. <laughs> Do this, you know, <laughs> but it's the real world that we live in and that's not yep. how things work. Mm-hmm. So my my mom and I were riding in the car together one day. She was always trying to help me figure out what I wanted to do. And like whether it was just saying random <laughs> random jobs or, you know, asking me what my likes and dislikes are and stuff or whatever. We were in the car one day and she said, Lindsay, what about going to school for something where you can work with with old people? And I was like, oh my gosh, for the first time ever, I thought, oh, that sounds awesome. I would love to do that. And so I looked at her and I said, that would be really cool, actually. But what could I go to school for to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I can't be a nurse. My memory won't, my memory loss won't allow that. And I'm not interested in the physical you know, aspects of human beings. I'm, I'm more interested in the, the spiritual and the mm-hmm. mental part of things. And my mom goes, well, I don't know. I don't know. Just look around and whatever. And so one semester I walked, I walked into like the main student center building where all the restaurants and stuff are. And there were people sitting all around at tables with, you know, from different um, different degrees and stuff. And there was a table that said gerontology on the front of it. And I walked over to the guy and I said, what the heck is gero? <laughs> he goes, oh, gerontology. It's the study of aging and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. So he gave me all the paperwork I needed and he was probably the one man who ever went through the gerontology program. <laughs> but um, I made an appointment with one of the advisors in that in that major, or they just St. Cloud State had a minor, a minor and a master's program in gerontology. So I met with one of the advisors and got signed up for classes. I said, "This, I think this is really what I want to do." And um, the next semester, I started taking classes, and I was volunteering at a nursing home in St. Cloud. And I went there one day, and I was given a couple chicken soup for the soul books and sent down into the memory care cottages. And, oh, my gosh, that day I was able to connect with a number of men and women with different forms of dementia in different stages of their disease. And I was able to connect with them in a way that I hadn't been able to connect with anyone since my brain surgeries. Wow. The way that they needed people to to communicate with them just came completely naturally to me because it was the way I had needed people to communicate with me right after my surgeries. Hmm. 
And I left there that afternoon and I sat down in my car and I looked up and I went, God, that was so amazing. I don't want to leave. I was literally ready to go home and pack my bags and move in there with those residents. I just, I wanted to spend all my time with them. They're so, so incredible. That's amazing. And yeah, I thought this must be that passion Mm -hmm. thing that all those people out in LA were talking about. This must be that. I love this. And I've been working. Yeah. I've been working um, with older adults professionally for 10 years now. And there, nothing that I've done in my life can even compare to what I get to do now. Yeah. It's so amazing. Gosh, Lindsay, I just, your story, I I know God's going to use different parts of it to speak to different people. And I just want to keep listening, but oh my gosh, it's already been like almost an hour, which is crazy. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. No, no, you're an incredible storyteller. It goes by so fast, but there was one question I really wanted to ask which is I am just fascinated with unity in the church and and I've had my own journey with that. And so I love the fact that you're Catholic. And so I know we can't really delve into that story right now, but will you just share what your favorite part of the Catholic church is? I just, I really love like the reverence when of going to Catholic mass and the, the different sacraments are, I've, I've learned a lot about my Catholic faith Mm -hmm. in the last, you know, 10 or so years. And I'm so grateful. And I, you know, I church shopped before. I never thought I should be Catholic my whole life. But after going, well, no, not even after going through all my surgeries, but I found this really awesome retreat that's based on the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. Friday night is die day. Saturday is rise day. And Sunday is go, go forth. Oh my gosh. It's it's incredible. What's it called? It's called Koinonia. Oh wow. Try to spell that one. Yeah, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. What is it? Does no, it mean something? It does. I can't remember what. <laughs> it's okay. If someone's interested, they can use the mighty thing called Google. Yes. Yes. You absolutely can. Cause there's, we've got a website and everything and the retreats are incredible. My closest friends in my life are friends who I've met hmm. on a Koinonia retreat. Awesome. Well, I'll also link it in the show notes so that people can get to it if they're curious. And Lindsay, we've, we've covered a lot, but is there anything that is just dying inside your mind that you would want to share with someone who's struggling or just something we didn't get to that you want to share? So something that I, I really want to share with like the youth, because mm-hmm. when I was growing up, no one ever mentioned being passionate about your work, about mm-hmm. your job that you go to every day. Yeah. No one, no one ever mentioned that word to me. Yeah. And after finding my passion and having worked in this field now for as long as I have a few years ago, I remember I was driving in my car and all of a sudden God, like he walks by me. I feel like with these big water droplets of priceless information. Hmm. And as he goes past me, he goes bloop and drops it 
into my <laughs> into my mind and I'm like, oh, whoa, that's so awesome. I love that. That's perfect. And so this specific thing was that the secular, you know, passion that all those people out in LA talked about is actually purpose. What you were put here on this earth to do in your lifetime. That's what you're going to feel passionate about. If, you know, if you're truly trying to live your faith and make that, making that part of your daily life, making God part of your, your life 24 seven, that's what you're going to be passionate about doing. And it's so important that we find our passion It's, oh gosh, it's so important. That's why we're put on this earth. I love what you said about purpose. That gave me goosebumps. But I just following up, what if someone's like, man, I've been trying for years and you know, you didn't find it for for years. I feel like mine has been a mistake. People are like, how do you become an author? And I'm like, it was just tiny little steps leading me this way. I mean, I thought I was going to speak to athletes and then lo and behold, now this whole ministry is developing around people in pain. I mean, in some ways, I feel like God and his purpose found me, not the other way around. I mean, what what do you say to someone who's like, I have no idea what it is. What do I do? Pray. Hmm. Just do not stop praying about it. And regardless, regardless of what people around you are telling you to do, don't, don't listen to the people in your lives unless... <laughs> Unless they're, you know, a spiritual advisor or something like that. Yeah. Who, someone you know you can trust to tell you what they believe God is telling you to do. Yeah. And just pray and, and pay attention to the signs around you because God puts them everywhere for us. It's mm-hmm. just if, if our minds are open enough just to recognizing and receiving his, his signs and his blessings and everything. Absolutely. That's so good. You said, you said that I was like, Oh yeah. Duh. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I love, I just think the spirit is just all over your life, Lindsay, and how you speak and what he's done in your life. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Just thank you so much for, for coming and sharing your story. And I just pray it blesses so many people. I pray the same thing. Thank you so, so, so much. Oh my goodness. I hope you guys are feeling as encouraged as I was when I was able to speak to Lindsay. What a testimony, man. Thank you so much to Lindsay. And I will link below in the show notes to the Catholic weekend retreat that Lindsay mentioned. I still have issues pronouncing it. And on that note, we will see you again here next week. But before then, Heal Retreat will happen. Don't forget to register. Don't fight for your victory alone. Go to thehealretreat.com and we'll see you on Saturday.